Well, guys, good morning. It's great to be with you. If you're joining us here live, if you're listening to us on the podcast or watching us online, we're, we're just so excited uh, to be together. We're going to be kicking off a brand new series today called Paul and Timothy Passing the Torch. I want you to imagine that you are going to climb Mount Everest. Some of you are like, I'm not, I don't even want to imagine that. You're going to climb Mount Everest. Now, what's, if, you're, if you decided to climb Mount Everest, what would you do? I, I'll tell you the first thing that I would do is I would hire a guide. Does that make sense? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hire a guide, and I'm gonna, probably going to interact with them a little bit, you know, email and some phone calls. And then the day's going to come where I'm going to walk into base camp, and I'm going to meet my guide. So I want you to imagine you walk into, walk into base camp and you, and you meet your guide. He's kind of looks like a mountain climber. He looks experienced. He looks like he knows what he's doing. You, you read about him online. He's been to the summit multiple times. So you meet him and you shake his hand. He's really warm. He gives you a great smile. And, and then he goes, all right, I got some stuff for you. So he goes into his bag and he pulls out a book on mountaineering. And he hands it to you. He says, Here, here's a book on mountaineering. And um, I got a, an equipment list for you here, a gear list. And there's a pile of like tanks and parkas and, and tents over there, just in uh, ice crampons. And all. Just, just go over in that pile, get whatever you need to climb Mount Everest. Here's a map of the mountain with a red line that shows where you're going to go and X's where you're going to camp at night. All right. And then also the best part and he, and he pulls out a piece of paper out of his pocket and unfolds it and he hands it to you. So I printed out this PDF, top 10 mountaineering tips. And then he walks over and he puts his arm around you and he points you to the mountain and he says, go get him, tiger. And guys, I think too often that's exactly what discipleship looks like in the church. A, a guy that's, that's been there, that's done that, that's grizzled, looks, looks like he knows what he's talking about. And then somebody says, hey, I want to I I grow my faith. I want to climb the mountain of Christian faith. And so we give him a Christian living book and we give him a PDF that we printed out and a couple websites that he can go to, maybe a YouTube channel that he can watch. And we put our arm around his shoulder and we pat him on the back and we go, go get him, tiger. And then we wonder why so many guys quit. We wonder why we have such a lack of mature Christian disciples, mature male Christian disciples in the church. And I think there's some models that we have for discipleship that, that um, we've relied on that, frankly, they're, they're a part of discipleship. But if you think that this is all discipleship is, it doesn't work. So, for instance, a teacher. We think, well, discipleship is about teaching. But, but teaching just imparts knowledge. You need, you need knowledge, but all teaching, to, a teacher meets a student in a classroom or a, or a learning environment, gives them information that they need, and then sends them off. Or a mentor. Oh, it's about mentoring, right? But, but when you think about mentoring, especially when I talk to young guys about mentoring, what they think of when they think of a mentor is Somebody who's an expert on something, who's had success on something, who, who it, the communication's mostly one way. And so they're, they're imparting 
these, these life lessons or this, a lot of times they'll have like a system um, and they'll, they'll, they'll listen and they'll get feedback from them and they'll give them advice and they'll give them counsel, but they're not doing anything together. They're not going through those experiences together. The mentor is just sort of giving, imparting wisdom. And you need that. You need wisdom. You need the wisdom of experience. So we say, well, what about a coach? Oh, that, that sounds good. We want to be coached like we're guys. We like coaching, right? Well, what does a coach do during the game? Stands on the sidelines. So let's go back to a guide. So let's say I walk into Everest Base Camp, and I meet my guide. And he doesn't give me a book on mountaineering. He's been talking to me for months about what to expect He's been preparing me for this journey. When he meets me in base camp, he's got the, he's got the tent all set up for me. He's gotten, he's gotten our team, he's put our team together that we're going to ascend the mountain together. He checks all my equipment personally. He goes through it. If there's something that he doesn't like, that he, that he knows from his experience isn't going to work for me, then he has replacements ready to go so that I have the right equipment for the journey that's ahead of me. Sure, he gives me a map, but I don't, I don't need it because how am I going to get up the mountain? I'm going to follow my guide because he's not pointing at the, at the summit and saying, go get him, tiger. He's saying, hey, tomorrow morning at 4 o'clock, be in front of the tent, man, because we're taking off together. We're going to go through the Kumbu Icefall. You know what happens in the Kumbu Icefall? Ice falls. People die in the Kumbu ice fall. The guide's not going to be like, well, here's the best path through, you know, hope you make it. He's going to share that risk with you. He's going to walk through that Kumbu ice fall with you. You're going to go to, you know, you're going to start at 15 or 16,000 feet. And then you're going to go up a couple thousand feet. And that first night, you're going to realize that the air is thin. And the wind is cold. And the tent is thin. And you're going to be shivering. And you're going to be having trouble breathing. And you're going to be suffering. And you just got started. And you know what the guide's doing? He's shivering. And he's cold. And he's suffering. And he's right there with you. He's, he's with you. He's on the journey with you. This, guys, I think, is what discipleship is supposed to be all about. Not that the that the mature believers tell the immature believers what they should do and say, go get them, tiger. But that we go along the way with them. And that is what the life of Paul and Timothy is all about. It's all about Paul and Timothy doing a long journey together. And then at the end of this journey, we get this letter. We're going we're gonna to be looking in this series. We're going to go through 2 Timothy. We're going to go through it pretty much verse by verse. And we're going to look at the relationship between Paul and Timothy. Now, why is, why is 2 Timothy the book that we picked? Because 2 Timothy is the, is the last letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. Paul is in prison when he writes 2 Timothy. He's hopeful that he'll get out, but he's realistic because the emperor is a guy named Nero. And Paul knows that it's probably unlikely 
that he's going to get out of prison. And so he's writing this, this last letter. In fact, it's, it's similar to what they call in the Bible a farewell discourse. And you see farewell discourses like at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses gives a farewell discourse. At the end of Joshua, Joshua gives a farewell discourse. David, in 1 Chronicles 23 and 24, gives a farewell discourse. If you read John 14 to 16, that's Jesus' farewell discourse. What does that mean? It's like, this is the stuff I want you to remember, right? It's not, it's not in a vacuum. It's not like a, like a letter to the public. It's, it's, a, it's a personal communication to people that know you best, reminding them of the things that you most want them to remember. And so 2 Timothy is a farewell discourse from Paul to Timothy. So if you have a Bible, open it to 2 Timothy. And let's look at this scripture together. So the first thing we're going to talk about in this series, we're going to talk about on the title today is on being and having a spiritual father. On being and having a spiritual father. And so let's talk about Paul and Timothy a spiritual father and son. So who was Paul, right? We, we, hear, we talk about Paul in the church probably after Jesus. We've, we probably talk about Paul the most of all the New Testament figures, right? Peter, Peter, Peter's up there too and James and John, but we talk about Paul the most. Why? Because Paul wrote 13 epistles, right? He wrote all these letters. He, he was a consummate church planner. But what else was Paul? Paul was a murderer. Paul was a persecutor of the church. And then on the road to Damascus, he has an experience where God talks to him and he has a radical conversion. And Paul becomes this prolific church planner who travels all over the Middle East and Asia Minor and, and, uh, and Southern Europe and plants churches in places like Ephesus and Philippi and Colossae and Galatia right? And you recognize all those names from the, from the books, Corinth, Rome. He goes and he, and he plants churches and he fosters leaders and he, and he builds it up. And so the book, the letter starts with this phrase. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. What is an apostle? An apostle is somebody who has met Jesus. Paul had that, that face-to-face uh, confrontation or, or uh, experience on in Damascus, and then he talks about being with Jesus later. And so Paul is the is what some people would say is the last um, biblical apostle. He had he had a he had that experience with Jesus that changed everything about him. And he he says by the will of God according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. So Paul says by the will of God. I didn't go find God. God came and found me. And, and so he's, he's an apostle. It's not by his choice. So he's right from the start. It's not, it's not about me. It's about the will of God. And according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. And so he recognizes that this is a promise that we have received, a promise of life in Christ Jesus. And so as we think about Paul being Timothy's spiritual father, this is what he wants Timothy to understand. And he wants Timothy to then communicate out to the church where he's at. Timothy at this point is in Ephesus. 
And, um, and Paul wants Timothy to, to communicate this out. This is a, the promise of the life, Jesus' life. Jesus said what? John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Paul's trying to re- remind Timothy of this. Now, a murderer and a persecutor and an apostle. So if, if you are, if you've done something that worse than um, m- m- multiple murder, you are not qualified. You might not be qualified to be a spiritual father. But even if you've murdered people, when you have been found by God and you understand the promise of the life that is Christ Jesus, you are just as qualified as Paul to be a spiritual father. So some of us, I think, especially some guys that are like, well, you know, I, I've screwed up in my life. I've, I've messed up a marriage. I've have failed businesses. I've, I've hurt people. Maybe you've even been to prison for murdering somebody. You do not, you are not worse than Paul was. I promise you. He held the people's coats while they threw stones at Stephen until he was dead. That's cold, right? But God got a hold of his heart. Has God gotten a hold of your heart? You're qualified to be a spiritual father. So who was Timothy then? Well, Timothy was Paul's protege. I told you that uh, Paul wrote 13 epistles. Timothy's in 11 of them. Did you know that? Timothy is mentioned by name in 11 of Paul's epistles. He's also in Acts and in Hebrews. Now, the only epistles he's not in is Galatians and Ephesians, which is kind of interesting because Timothy ended up being a pastor in Ephesus. Um, And that's where he was when Paul wrote in this letter. Uh, He's listed as a co-author on six of the letters. Paul and Timothy. Paul and Silas and Timothy to the church in wherever. He's called, um, he's called uh, many different things by Paul. He's called a helper. He's called a fellow worker. Um, he's called um, a brother. He's called, a, he's called his brother five times. But he calls him his son four times. And so when you look at how Paul looked at Timothy, he looked at him at a bro- as a brother, but he also looked at him as a son. We know from Acts 16, Acts 16, 1, if you just want to write that down. Uh, this is where we're introduced to Timothy. It says, Paul came to, also to Derbe and to, and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, and it, but his father was a Greek. So his mom was a believer and his, and his father wasn't. His mom was Jewish. His father was Greek, which could, could mean actually Greek or it could just be not Jewish. Sometimes they would use that. And two verses later, it says, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. So, so Paul saw something in Timothy when he met him. And, he, and he, he said, I want this guy with me. I want to bring him along with me as I go on my, missionary, my next missionary journey to plant churches. This is, this is a guy I want with me. And so Paul saw that in Timothy right away. So if we look at verse 2 in 2 Timothy 1, it says, To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. This is virtually the same greeting that, that Paul gives to Timothy in 1 Timothy as well. 
Um, but I want to point out this phrase here, my beloved child. And so I got here early and I asked, Jim Angelakos, how do you pronounce this word in Greek, these two words in Greek? And so I'm going to butcher it, but he said it's agapetos technon. Is that all right? Thank you very much. Agapetos technon, or agapitos. Agapitos technon. So how many of you recognize the word agape, right? What does that mean? Love, right? Like the deepest most moral kind of love, the love that you choose to have, not brotherly affection like phileo, not erotic affection like eros, but agape, moral, intentional, deep uh, love for someone. And so, and then, and then technone, uh, when you put, a, uh, technone means son or child, but when you put agapitos technone, it takes on a bigger meaning. It takes on a more full-orb meaning. And uh, one, of the, one of the dictionaries I read said, this is that intimate and reciprocal relationship formed between men by the bonds of love, friendship, and trust, just as between parents and children. So not, not just my son, not just like this, this biological or sort of this like ushy-gushy feeling, but an intimate and reciprocal relationship. It goes both ways. And it's got these bonds of love, friendship, and trust. So this is Timothy. Um, in 1 Corinthians 4, 17, you see Paul's affection for Timothy. He says, that is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in the church. So, it, so if you remember, we've, we've talked about 1 Corinthians in here before, but 1 Corinthians is like Paul planted a church in Corinth and they are screwing it up. They're doing all kinds of crazy things. He's mad at them. There's, there's incest, there's political strife, there's, there's uh, so, uh, economic, you know, socioeconomic strife, uh, and, and on and on. Who does he send to Corinth to help? Timothy right? He sends Timothy. So I think sometimes we get this, there's a couple of verses like, don't let them put you down because you're young. Timothy was probably 40 when Paul said that to him, okay? So, I mean, I don't want to say he's a millennial, but you know what I mean? It's like he was, he was not, a, he was not a, an 18-year-old or a 23-year-old. He was probably 40 when, when Paul said that to him. Paul had spent a lot of time with Timothy, and he had discipled him along the way. He had been his guide Along the way, they had these experiences. He had built trust, so much so that Paul sends him to this church that he loves, but he's ticked off at. Timothy's the guy that he sends. You see Timothy go to Macedonia on Paul's behalf with Silas, and they pick up an offering and bring it to Paul so that he can continue in his ministry. Um, and you see Paul just call Timothy, my brother, my son, my child, my brother, and then finally, in Hebrews is the last time that we hear about Timothy. This is not most likely uh, written by Paul. Some people think it is, but most likely not. And, and even in Hebrews, Timothy comes up. It says, you should know that our brother, our brother Timothy. So he was well enough known that even in the letter to the Hebrews, Timothy's well enough known by everybody that it's like, hey, by the way, Timothy's out of jail. That's, that's basically the message. 
so that because everybody wants to know about that. So Timothy goes from this young man who's got a spiritual mother and grandmother, we find out, to the troubleshooter that gets sent to Corinth, to the guy that's well-known enough in Hebrews. They're like, hey, guys, hey, guess what? Timothy's out, of, Timothy's out of jail. He's been released. He's back doing ministry again. And so this is the, this is, these are the two guys that we're going to talk about for the next 18 sessions or so as Paul passes the torch to Timothy. Um, so then let's, let's then look at um, the affection, the affection between Paul and Timothy. In verse 3, Paul says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So what is the word that you see several times in this passage? Anybody notice what that word is? Remind, right? I remember, I remember, I'm reminded. So Paul he is now, he's, he's at the end of his life. He's at the end of this long journey that he's been on with Timothy. And he's reminding Timothy, hey, I remember you all the time. I pray for you all the time. I remember the tears that we shed the last time we said goodbye. Our affection for each other was so deep that we cried when we left each other. We're American men. We don't cry only here, guys. Everywhere else. Everywhere else. No, nobody else would have this like, well, that's wimpy. No, no, no. This is a sign of strength, the fact that they loved each other so much that they cried when they left. And, and Paul is, um, he says he, he longs to see him. There's this, there's this affection that they have. And Paul, and Paul says, you know, I know the faith that you got from your mom and your grandmom. Who's missing from that picture? His dad, right? So Paul was his dad. Paul was his dad. And all around us, guys, there are young men who don't have a dad, a spiritual dad, a dad that loved them and, and helped them build their faith. And we can be that to a young guy that does not have that in his life. We can be the father that lives life with them, that gets to the end and reminds them has this, this Christian affection. I don't, I, don't, I don't think we, affection is like this, this concept that I don't think we talk about enough or really, really grasp as men sometimes. But this, this idea of, of um, well, I think, I think it's what that, that definition of technon, agapitos technon is. It's built with bonds of love and friendship and trust. That's, that's Christian affection. Don't you long to have that with another guy? Love and friendship and trust. If you have that, you know how sweet it is, right? You know how wonderful it is to have another man, a, a close friend, somebody who you know loves you and somebody that you can trust in those difficult times. And so we know that... Um, we know that Paul and Timothy spent a long, a long journeys together. 
because Paul's reminding him all these, all these things. So, so that brings us to our big idea. And our big idea is this. Discipleship happens along the way. It doesn't happen in a classroom. doesn't happen in a, on, a, on a playing field. doesn't happen in a business office. That can be part of it. But if, if, you're, just dive, if you're just doing dive-bomb discipleship, you know, if, you just, if it's sort of episodic, it's not going to create lasting change. You can't create the bonds of love, friendship, and trust with, an, with, a, with a weekly one-hour meeting. Sound familiar? It has to be more than just a weekly one-hour meeting. It has to be along the way. Mike Aitchison, who speaks here sometimes, we were, t- we were talking about this idea of, of how does one man make an impact in, in, as a spiritual father. And he says, you know, it's, it starts with proximity, Mike said. It starts with proximity. What's that? Closeness, physical presence. That's what it takes to, to do discipleship. It happens along the way. So then, what is the impact then of a spiritual father? If Paul was Timothy's spiritual father, what's the impact of a spiritual father? When he says, I remind you, what's he thinking about? He, he's, I think Paul's thinking about the, the literally years of experiences that they had together, traveling all around. Think of the hundreds of conversations they must have had, sitting around a fire at night or, in a, or in a, maybe a guest in the, in the upper room of somebody's home where they, where they might have had a guest room, which is pretty typical. Um, and they had these conversations over, over meals and as they're walking on the road and as they're going to sleep at night. And, and, then, and then Paul's like, Timothy, I need you to go to Macedonia for me. He starts sending him on to do tasks for him. And he's like, Timothy, I got this church that's in trouble, man. I need you to go to Corinth. I'll, I'll, and Tim, I, don't, I don't know how Timothy felt about that. But, it, it, you know, Paul reminds him a, a little bit later here, we'll talk about it in a second, to, to not be afraid. And so may, maybe Paul was even a little bit of a, I mean, Timothy was maybe a little bit of an introvert or maybe a, a little bit of, of, of t- maybe a little timid, some people think. But Paul saw past that to who Timothy was as a man and who he could be as a man. And so he, think about all these experiences that they had together. And, and what does he say to him? He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, which probably means that Paul like ordained him or commissioned him. So I commissioned you, I ordained you. And, if you, and what happens when you don't use gifts? Like a fire, they fade. When you don't feed a fire, it fades. So Paul's saying, I'm reminding you, man, you've got to use your gifts. This is what a spiritual father does with a spiritual son. He's like, man, you, you've got this gift. You've got this calling. You've got this talent. Use it. You can't, you can't lose it. I want you to use it. And I'm reminding you that I'm, I'm, I sent you to do this. So as a spiritual father, as we identify gifts and talents in the men that we're doing life with, that we're along the way with, we need to remind those guys and encourage them and commission them to go use their gifts out in the world. Not, not keep them close to us, or, but, but to get them out, to get them out making a difference. And then he says this phrase. This phrase is pretty famous. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. 
And so this is sort of the, this, this is the end of the, sort of this opening of the letter, and Paul ends it with this sort of, this punch, right? Timothy, don't be afraid. That's not this. When you're afraid, Timothy, that's not the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is a spirit of power and love and self-control. You can do this. You've got this. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is with you. The Holy Spirit is with you, my son, my beloved son, my agapitos technon. The Spirit of God is with you. What a powerful reminder for Paul to be giving to Timothy. And so this is the, the, the relationship they had. This is the impact that Paul had on Timothy along the way as he discipled him along the way as they spent years doing ministry together. So what does it take then to be or to find a spiritual father? Well, I think the first thing to realize is, like Paul said, it's by the will of God. If you're called to be a spiritual father, and honestly, I think every mature Christian man is called to be a spiritual father. It's not your choice. It's, it's by the will of God. So here's the thing, though. If it's by the will of God, then he'll make a way for it. If you're like, well, I don't know if I can be a spiritual father. I'm, I'm not, I, don't, I don't know who I could be a spiritual father to. I guarantee you, all you need to do is like open your eyes. Look around. There's a guy that, there's a, there's a guy, and here's the, here's the problem. I might be somebody that, that you're like, got a lot in common with and that you really like and that you connect well with, but probably not in my experience. It might be that guy that like, why is this guy always around me? You know, everything, every, every, everywhere I go, this guy's there. That's the will of God. Like, what, you, you, sorry, all right? So we need to look around, we need to, we need to pray and look around for the guys that are around us. So we need, we need to know, we need to know that God, that it's by God's will that we're spiritual fathers. The second thing is that we need to, if you're going to be a spiritual father, what do you do? Well, let me just give you a real simple thing. You're reminding, you're reminding a younger man of who he is in Christ. That, that's the essence of it. You're reminding a, young, a younger man of who he is in Christ. If you're a young guy you, and you're looking for a guy who, who could be your spiritual father, look for somebody that will remind you of who you are in Christ. Because they know who they are in Christ. You want to remind them of God's grace and the meaning of the gospel. That it's not about performance. It's about Jesus' performance. It's about his sacrifice. You need to look for and remind him of his gifts. What's he good at? What's he talented at? What's he successful at? How can you remind him of his, of his gifts and help him figure out how to put those gifts into action? And then finally, you need to remind him of the way God wants him to live. This is our, our ethics, really. It's the, way, it's, 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 it's the way we work. It's the way we love our family. It's the way we um, spend time with God. It's the way we engage in our church and in our neighborhood. And so we as spiritual fathers, we need to remind the younger men around us, how does God want us to live? And part of that reminder, like Paul, is exampling it. 
And if you're a spiritual son and you, want to, you really want to know what to look for in a spiritual father, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, Therefore, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So look around for a man that you want to be like. Look around for a man that you want to imitate. That's the guy that, you, that could be your spiritual father. And guys, older guys, we need to live lives that are worthy of imitation so that when those young guys come to us, we're, we're giving them something to look at. We're giving them an example to follow. So here's the big idea again. Discipleship happens along the way. I'm going to give you a corollary or, or some, I'm going to flesh this out really quick here at the end. And so this is the big idea. Discipleship happens along the way, but this is a qualifier to it, okay? It requires presence over time, shared experiences, and Christian affection, right? This is what we talked about in the first part. And then before that, we talked about it forges bonds of love, friendship, and trust, this is, I mean, you could, this is probably a book right here, like seven or eight chapters in a book. It requires presence over time, shared experiences, and Christian affection. It, discipleship along the way forges bonds of love, friendship, and trust. Guys, let's be spiritual fathers. Let's have men that at the end of our lives, we can write a letter like Paul did to Timothy. We can have a a man in our lives that we remind them of how God made them, of what we've accomplished together, of, of how they can go build God's kingdom, of God's grace and mercy and the power of the gospel in their lives. Let's not get to the end of our lives and go, man, I wish I'd had an impact on somebody. I wish somebody could call me a spiritual father. And if you don't know what to do, if that still scares you to think that you could be a spiritual father, just stay tuned. Because over the next 18 weeks, we're going to go through this book and we're going to learn from the master, we're going to learn from Paul what it looks like to be a spiritual father. You ready for the journey? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for um, confronting Paul on that road to Damascus of a murdering, hateful, spiteful... Um, persecutor of people who followed Christ. Thank you for knocking him off his feet and showing him the truth. And Lord, if that's, what, if that's what any of us need so that we can follow you more closely, so that we can have the impact of a man like Paul, Lord, knock us off our feet too. Dazzle us, blind us, Lord, and restore us to be the men that you've called us to be. And Lord, I, I pray that everyone that's listening to this would see themselves in this letter from Paul to Timothy, that they would see themselves in the role of being a, a, a guide to someone. Lord, that men that are listening to this that need a spiritual father, that need a guide to show them the way, that they will find a man to walk with them, to suffer with them, to take all the same risks that they take, to to sacrifice and to lead them in a way that they've already gone. And Lord, we pray that we would recognize you as the ultimate father, that 
we are reflecting you to the, to the men around us, Lord. That, Jesus, we would grasp the promise that comes from your sacrifice and, and your resurrection. So, Lord, make us spiritual fathers and sons for your glory and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>